Good morning, guests. It's great to have you at the Gathering Place Church. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We love the presence of God here. We love the Word of God. We love one another, and we love reaching out to those who have not yet made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life, because that's the most important decision you will ever make. Um, before we launch into this next um, few topics on the Too Hot to Handle series, um, I want to mention that at the end of the Nehemiah series, at the beginning of this year, we'll, we broke open the book of Nehemiah, a great book for anybody to read at any time. It's about restoration. At the end of that series, I had a dream. It was very quick, very simple. It was Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, just those scriptures. And that is where the um, leaders read the Word of God. It broke the people's hearts because they realized how far away they had drifted from God. They began to weep, and then God spoke and said, Hey, 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 stop crying. Today's holy to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Throw a party. That's what that passage says. Then I smelled this very lemony smell, very clean, fresh, lemony smell. And then the Lord spoke to me. This is in a dream. Then the Lord spoke marriages. And I woke up. Not real hard, hard to interpret. The word of God, breaking hearts, uh, lemony smell, fresh, clean, new, and marriages. So, you know, the Lord has to sometimes get real dramatic and dynamic and animated for us to get what he really wants us to focus on in this church because we're a little slow. He wants us to focus on strengthening marriages in the house. That was supposed to be funny, by the way, what I just said. That was an attempted humor. It's only up from here, so I feel good. So we're going to be, uh, we're launching two marriage small groups this uh, fall, but, the, but we're also going to be doing a marriage seminar. We already have a hotel uh, reserved. It's in Pine Valley, and uh, we have 20 rooms reserved. It's going to be a great uh, two-day retreat. Hope and I are going to do a session. Mark and Shelley, who are the associate pastors, are going to do a session. And Gary and Kathy Mancini, who are uh, on the senior leadership team here, they are going to do a session. Uh, We're going to barbecue. We're going to just have a great time. So in your bulletin, there is a marriage retreat survey. We want to know, one, are you coming? Two, what topics you would like us to touch on? And also, if you're interested in being part of the uh, marriage small groups that are going to be starting in the fall. So you want to fill that out. If you don't have a flyer, if you don't have a bulletin, you don't have a flyer, and you're a married couple, please do it before you leave today because we've got to reserve your room, and you're not going to want to miss this. And this is for people who have been married a day. It's for people who have been married for 100 years in a day. We especially need the older couples that feel like your marriage doesn't need any help to be there because young couples feel like their problems are unique and they get confused and they, you know, trying to pass that four-year, seven-year mark. It's very, very troublesome. When you have an over 50% divorce rate, young marriages need help. So we need some married couples who have been married 20 years plus to be there because you can be an anchor and a mentor and a mom and dad to young couples in the house. Can I hear an amen? All right. So. Where's my sermon notes? They're in that book. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so. Thanks, baby. Now, um, so the last couple of weeks, uh, we launched a new series called Too Hot to Handle. Uh, the Lord woke me up, and that phrase popped into my head. And He's been talking to me very clearly over the 
uh, last four or five months about hitting some very controversial issues that are the hot topics of our culture. As Martin Luther says, you can preach the gospel in all of its aspects. But if you're not preaching on the current topics of the day, you're not preaching the gospel at all. One of the worst things we can do is send believers into a hostile environment without having intelligent answers and a divine perspective on the very issues that everybody's talking about that make the headline news, the people you go to school with, the people that you're at work with, the people in your family, and you don't have intelligent answers. And as Chris said, we, and I, I like the fact that teenagers are in here today, you send teens off to college and they just get destroyed because they don't have intelligent answers. They haven't thought through these specific things. Next week, we're going to do something very unique. Next Sunday, it's a great Sunday to invite your friends to because we're going to, we're going to take on evolution versus creation. And um, I'm think, I think about uh, uh, what's his name, uh, the black brain surgeon, Carson Ben Carson wrote a great book called Take the Risk. He um, he uh, you know, obviously a world renowned brain surgeon raised by a single mom in the ghetto, and his mom wouldn't let him watch TV. He says you're going to read books instead of watch TV, and now he's one of the world renowned brain surgeons running for president of the United States, and. Um, he was invited, he wrote a book called Take the Risk, and he, he was invited to, to, to teach 15,000 high school science teachers about evolution versus creation. And he, and he writes in the book about how he processes the risks that he takes and the risks he doesn't take. This one, he said, could be a career killer. Um, but he decided to take the risk, and he stood up and he just used the eyeball as his example, and he talked about creation versus evolution. And uh, just dismantled evolution, which is not very difficult to do when you look at it through the eyes of creationism. And at the end of it, he got a standing ovation. Science teacher after science teacher after science teacher came to him and said, we are scared to death to teach what we really believe because we will lose our jobs. It's created a culture in the world of academics that is just ungodly that you cannot hear both sides of it. My wife's in school right now, and, uh, you know, my, my sister is a uh, psychologist, and in that environment, that academic environment, and in high school, it can be very intimidating. You look like a fool if you believe in creation. And so what I'm going to do next week is this. I'm not an expert. I'm not an apologist for creationism. So I'm not going to try to step up into a platform that's, that's beyond me. So what the team decided to do was, I don't know if you ever heard of um, Lee Strobel. He was an atheistic um, graduated at the top of his class at Harvard Law School and was an atheistic journalist for the Boston Globe. His wife gets saved. He sees a change in her that cannot be natural, so he decides to investigate Christianity. He went through the lens of creationism versus evolution. He interviewed some of the world's best physicists, astronomers, biologists, microbiologists, and um, at, the end of a, at the end of his research, he said, as a lawyer, I have to go with the evidence and it's an evidence that demands a verdict. And he now is not only a believer, he travels the globe as a Christian apologist uh, for Christianity. And um, so he has a book he wrote called A Case for Creation. I downloaded the DVD, or I bought the DVD, and it's a 60-minute powerful presentation on creation versus evolution. We're going to show that here next Sunday morning. It will be a great Sunday morning to invite your friends to, your unsaved friends, even evolutionist friends. Invite them to church and say, we're going to watch a movie, bring your popcorn, 
It's going to be a great presentation for creation. You'll want to definitely be here if you're in high school or college so that you can have an intelligent response to evolutionary teaching. Amen? Amen. So today, though, we're going to do lighter topics because the last couple Sundays have been kind of heavy. We did the gay marriage deal. We talked about money last week, and people get really funny when you talk about their money. Next week, we're going to take, take on evolution. So today, we're going to make it a little lighter, and we're going to talk about suicide, abortion, and war. By the way, I didn't mention last week, we have financial coaching in our church. So last week, I didn't tell you how to sign up. Use your guest card um, and say, I need financial coaching. You remember, if you ask for financial help, it doesn't make you weird, and it doesn't make you a failure. It makes you brilliant. So we have free financial coaching. I had one person call, and they were upside down, and we spent about an hour on the phone, and I found the right uh, combination for them. We have a mortgage banker in our church who's just so savvy at finances. It can really help. And so I connected them. We have Marsha Brown here who wants to do an FPU course and, and do a small group and help you get onto your financial feet. But uh, you need to sign up for that. We can't help you if you don't ask for help. But today, I want to hit these other topics. I'm going to try to hit all three of them, and uh, it's going to be a real feat. So pray for me. Here we go. All right. First, I want you to say with me, my life matters. My life, matters. My life, is, precious to God. My life is precious to God. Okay, say it out loud again. My life matters. My life matters. And my life is precious to God. The Bible says that you are God's treasure. And teenagers, I really want you to hear this. You are God's treasure. He says that. You're a jewel to him. You're his child, his son, or his daughter. Anything that makes you feel or think ugly about yourself, anything that makes you feel bad about yourself, who do you think that's coming from? Satan. Jesus would never speak to you and tell you that you're a piece of crud. He would never make you feel that way. Even when Jesus corrects you, it's with love. Always has hope. You are God's jewel. You are God's treasure. And your life matters deeply. God made you on purpose and with a purpose. His purpose is for you to know him like a best friend. That's the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you wants with you is like the like who has a best friend here raise your hand you have a best friend somebody laughs with you cries with you you can tell them anything without judgment that's who jesus wants to be to you and he has a purpose for your life he's given you talents personality gifts passions and he wants you to fully express yourself because when you shine he shines satan wants to snuff you out he wants you to make you feel bad about yourself and like your life doesn't count. And yet your life is unique to the point where there's never been a you and there never will be a you except for you right now. You are a unique expression of God. That's why Satan wants you to feel so bad about yourself so that you'll just want to kill yourself. Which is why one of the topics we're going to hit today is suicide. You say, well, why would that be a topic? It's not a controversial topic, but it is a very personal and very prevalent topic and a topic that the church has done a very poor job with. It is one of the top ten causes of death in America. 
we are the richest, uh, the richest country and the most depressed country on the planet. And teenagers get the brunt because they're in this stage of figuring out who they are and their hormones are going crazy and they have these dynamics with their parents and with their teachers and their coaches and, and they make huge mistakes and they feel bad about themselves. And the divorce, or the, uh, the, the uh, suicide rate is increasing among the ages 14 to 25. It's the greatest among ages 46 to 64 and the next level is 85 plus. And it's not just suicide. So you don't, you know, you don't, don't need to excuse yourself from the message. It's not just suicide. But also we need to be a bridge to those who are depressed, have anxiety attacks, and are suicidal. The church needs to be a bridge to these precious people. My fiance, my former fiance, tried to kill herself three times. She eventually did. So I, I've, I've watched it up close and personal. It is gut-wrenching, life-changing. It is one of the hardest things you'll ever go through is trying to reach somebody that is trying to take their own life. But it's not just suicide. For every suicide, there are 12 attempts of suicide. Suicide happens every 12.8 minutes. I mean, seven people will kill themselves by the end of the service. Hopefully not in this service, but... In the United States of America. Depression and anxiety lead to suicide attempts. Then there's one million people each year that self-harm. Cutting and eating disorders. Substance abuse uh, is obviously a part of this. And billions of dollars a year are spent on self-medicating or medicating our pain. It's an epidemic in our society. And there's such shame around this issue. You know... And I want to say to you, you are not alone. I was just with a pastor just this week. I was with a high school principal and a pastor, and I connected them. We were talking about the parenting forms that we have coming up in October where we are partnering with the schools here in the region to reach parents. We have a seminar called What, what I Wish My Parents Knew. We surveyed teenagers. I had them surveyed in the churches in the area, and, uh, and the principals did a man-on-the-street surveying the teenagers at their schools. And what came out of these surveys blew us away. I remember sitting in my bed with my iPad with my wife, and I was looking at these surveys that came from the youth of our churches and from the youth of our, our society, our city. And I just began to cry. I could not believe the stuff coming out, even from church kids, of high anxiety, depression, self-hate, self-harm, desires for suicide, sexual promiscuity, pornography, drug addiction. And they can't. They feel like they can't tell anybody, let alone their parents. So we started this, these seminars. Over 2,000 parents have gone through them, and they keep saying to us, we need more of these. Please help us. So I'm connecting a principal and a pastor this week, and um, as I met the pastor before, and I said, hey, how are you doing? You know? I said, I know you went through something really tough. Are you willing to tell me about it? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I, I got really depressed. He said, I now work out every day. I have a, a trainer and and every day I have to make sure I stay, my, stay psychologically over the water because I could sink down into that hole really fast. He had to go on a sabbatical for a very long time. He just crumbled. And he said, I was in my staff meeting the other day, and my whole staff knows it. I can only take so much. I was in a staff meeting, and he said, I, I, that's it for me. I, I'm out. And he said, they understand. I just walk out of the office. 
He said, and he said to me, I believe every leader in every industry deals with this kind of stress. And I said, it's not just leaders. Stress is a killer, you know. Parents, teens, pastors, principals, all of us deal with an enormous amount of stress. So why do I want to say this? You are not alone. This is what I'll say to you. If you deal with depression, high anxiety, suicidal tendencies, self-hate, you are not alone. You are not alone. And do you know who identifies with you more than anybody else on the planet? Jesus. So how can he identify with me? One day Jesus was so stressed out that he said this. I am so depressed right now, I feel like I'm going to die. You know Jesus said that? Jesus, the Son of God, said that. I am so depressed, I feel like I'm going to die. And then you know the next thing that happened? Blood started coming out of the pores of his face. Do you think he identifies with depression, discouragement, anxiety? I remember when my wife first came here. She went through about four or five of the things that psychologists say uh, are triggers for depression. Uh, leaving, you know, moving to another state, so you leave everything behind. And when you go from, from Louisiana, where most everybody's, well, they're rednecks, but they're normal, and then you move to Southern California, it's just bizarre. She leaves her family, her best friends, her church, her culture, her food, she comes out here to a church that was sick. Our senior pastor was, had fallen into sin. She married me. I had just gotten laid off. We had a long-distance marriage. It was short-term. And she, and, what? Long-distance relationship. And um, so she started getting depressed. And I could see it. And to me, I was thinking, well, duh. I, th- I said, you know, we should probably get some, you know, counseling. Or I said, this is what I said, or call a friend. Call some of your friends back home because I know how powerful friends are. Look, if it wasn't for Jesus in my life and my friends, I would be cooked. And you would be too. You cannot go solo. It's not, God has not designed you to live life alone. In fact, I want to show you something. I want you to go to the book of First Kings with me. Go to 1 Kings. I know this isn't a laughing message, but hopefully it's going to be a very helpful message. In 1 Kings, chapter 19. I'm going to get back to what, um, what I was just saying. 1 Kings, chapter 19. So here's a prophet of God, the strongest Christian on the planet. Okay, this guy right here, Elijah, strongest Christian on the planet, just called fire down from heaven, wiped out all the false prophets of God. You don't mess with this guy. He's bad to the bone, called fire down from heaven. And yet a spirit of fear went into him through somebody who's trying to intimidate him, and he ran for his life. One day he's calling fire down from heaven, 
And everybody's saying, you're bad at the bone, don't want to mess with you, you're amazing. The next day, he's running for his life. That's the way life is, isn't it? How many of you have ever had a life, a day that was such a roller coaster, you get done with it, you had the highest highs and the lowest lows, and you cannot believe that it all was in the same day? Raise your hands. Okay, that means you're a human and you're on this tumultuous planet called Earth. There are times you're going to bed and you're thinking about something that happened that you thought it was two days ago and it was just this morning. This is what's going on with Elijah. And it says in verse 3, in 1 Kings 19, And when he saw that, he arose, ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die, and said, It's enough, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Is that crazy? He's asking God to kill him. And he went to sleep, and then an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked of coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey's too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in that strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and then God spoke to him. When this Christian... This man of God got depressed, ran for his life, and wanted to take his own life, wanted God to kill him. When God showed up, what did he say to him? Seriously? You are pathetic. What's wrong with your Christianity? Don't you know the Bible? Don't you know the promises of God? Look, the church that hope came out of, the culture was victory all the time. And if you don't have the victory, something's wrong with you. I didn't know that. So when I said to her, you got to call some friends back home and, and, and just process. She said, I can't. I said, what do you mean you can't? She said, they, they, depression doesn't go well in my church. They will think something's wrong with me. She couldn't call her best friends because they were church people. That is so sad. That is so sad. God shows up through an angel and cooks him breakfast, restores him physically. Then he calls him to the mountain of God. Then he speaks to him and restores his soul. (laughs) This is beautiful. Our God is so good. He's running from a woman. This dude is, the prophet's running from some lady that threatened his life. I mean, he turned into a coward. But Jesus understands our humanness and our weaknesses. And he cooks some, some breakfast. Then he speaks to him. Then he says, okay, let's talk about your calling. Here's what I want you to do now. And he reestablishes his purpose. Jesus did the same thing with Peter. Peter crumbled under pressure. Denied even knowing Jesus. The next time he saw Jesus, Jesus is cooking some fish on the shore and saying, hey, Peter, are you hungry? Do you love me? Okay, let me tell you about your calling. And reestablished him. The Bible says that Jesus will not snuff out a candle that's, that's just barely lit, nor will he 
bruise, or know where you break a reed that is bruised. People might, but Jesus won't. You've got to be that kind of friend that will not be harsh on someone who is going through anxiety, depression, or wants to commit suicide. We have to be compassionate and understanding because it might be you next. Can I hear an amen? Jesus was rejected by his family, his friends, the church, the religious community, the government. He was falsely accused of being a liar, of being an alcoholic, of being a deceiving teacher, and of being demon-possessed. He was defamed because everybody knew that he was born out of wedlock or he was, that Mary got pregnant out of wedlock. He is abandoned by everybody. He was spit on in public in his face. He was slapped. He was tortured and he was crucified. But the Bible says that in that state, he even asked his best friends, come pray with me. And they fell asleep. He's alone. This is an angel came and strengthened him. Many times I've been strengthened supernaturally. I know an angel touched me. An angel has touched you when you don't even realize it. God has ministering angels to strengthen and encourage us. And he will send friends to you. The way you get out of depression, and I'm going to move to the next topic here. The way you get out of depression, unless it's, you know, if it's, if it's chemical, you need to go to a doctor. You need to get medication. But it's not enough. And a counselor is not, not enough. The answer to it is the gospel, Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, connection with God and connection with others. That's the gospel. Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the gospel, and that's the healing combination. The Bible says be completely honest with God. Tell him when you're angry. Tell him when you're stressed. Tell him when you're you're mad, tell him when you're depressed, because he already knows anyway. You're processing this. You're confessing it to your God, who's your refuge. Then it says, and confess your weaknesses to one another. You've got to have somebody you can tell exactly what you're going through. And then it says, and then pray for one another that you may be, say it out loud, healed. Amen? So the gospel is the answer to depression, anxiety, and suicide. If you need help, please reach out to the leadership of this church, and we will get you the help that you need. Number two, first I ask you to say this. My life matters. Will we say it again? My life and my life is precious to God. Okay, I'm going to ask you to say this. The life of the unborn matters. And the life of the unborn is precious to God. Why can we get our entire nation probably saying out loud, if I could have the whole nation right in front of me at one time and lead this in, in, this, in this mantra, my life matters. You know everybody would do that, probably most, except those who are contemplating suicide and they don't think their life matters. Hopefully we can bring them from the brink of the edge of the cliff. But we couldn't get them to say, and the life of the unborn matters to God. What has happened to our nation that we can have a massive humanity that would not say that chant? Because we have been duped by certain 
advocates in our society to not believe that the baby that's in your womb is a baby. Now, I want to be very, very sensitive to those of you in here who have had an abortion. I spoke to one today. This is what Jesus would say to you. I love you. I understand. And I completely forgive you. This person I spoke to today said, I had an abortion when I was a teenager. And even after I became a Christian, I could not receive the forgiveness of God. And I lived with incredible guilt for years. She said, then I came to the Gathering Place Church. Because this is the only church where you can find healing. You know that, right? I'm kidding. She came to the Gathering Place Church. She said the presence of God came. And she said it just melted her. And she said, and then Mark, our associate pastor, came up to close the service. I was teaching and I said, uh, Mark, why don't you close it? And he, it was Mother's Day. It's a hard day for someone who's had an abortion. And he said, somebody here has had an abortion. Because you know Mark. He can just ruin any special day with... With this kind of stuff. Mother's Day. Somebody has had an abortion. And you've lived with tremendous guilt. You have not been able to receive forgiveness. And the Lord says you are white as snow. And that you have many spiritual children all around the world. Because this person um, has spiritual children all around the world. She said in that instant she was completely healed. She said it happened when I was a teenager, though. She said, so tell the teenagers, one mistake can change your life forever. See, this is what the pro-choice people do not tell us. They do not tell us about uh, post-abortion stress syndrome. It's a real deal. Um, The statistics are just profound. Uh, There have been studies that are indisputable about the results after abortion. Um, 40% of women in a survey that was recently done says that they wanted the baby, and fewer than 14% said they received adequate pre-abortion counseling or information or alternatives or the physical, emotional risks of having an abortion. The post-abortion stress syndrome literally ruins women's lives. 90% suffer damage in their self-esteem. 50% begin or increase alcohol and drugs. 60% report suicidal ideation. 28% actually attempt suicide. 20% suffer full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder. 50% report some symptoms of PTSD. 52% felt pressured by others to have the abortion. A new study entitled Late-Term Elective Abortion and Susceptibility to Post-Traumatic Stress Symptoms has been published in the Journal of Pregnancy by Dr. Priscilla Coleman of Bowling Green State University. It says this is the first ever study to detail the experiences of women having early abortions up to 12 weeks compared to those having late abortions 13 weeks and onward. 52% of the early abortion groups and 67% of the late abortion groups met with the American Psychological Association's criteria for post traumatic stress disorder symptoms.
You know, there are people that just don't want us to believe that what's in your womb is a baby. Now, why would that be? You just have to be intellectually dishonest to look at current medical science to not know that that is a baby in there. I mean, if we are going to say that the medical definition of death, the cessation of life, is the cessation of brain waves. Well, brain waves begin at seven weeks. So why isn't that the definition of life? You know what the Bible says about this? Some say that life begins after the baby exits the womb. Some believe life begins somewhere within the process on a certain amount of months. Some believe that life begins in the definition I just gave you, which is the seven weeks. Some believe life begins uh, at conception. Um, You know, last night, I wish you could have been there. It was my job last night. It just so happened to land on the week that I was going to be teaching on this. The day before I'm teaching on this, just so happened that I, it was my assignment to explain to uh, my 11-year-old, Samuel, who's a special needs uh, child, and Josiah, my 11-year-old, who's a special needs child. It was my job to teach them about the birds and the bees last night. I wish you could have been in the room. As I'm going through this book by Jim Burns, which is a great book. I've met Jim. He's a great guy. Jim Burns, How God Made Babies. We've used it on every child. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if you guys are still okay or not, but last, it seemed like the kids last night were okay, except for this. As I'm, it's very, there's no graphics. It's not graphic, and I'm not getting graphic today either on any of this, all right? I'm going to be mature and respectable here this morning because my point isn't, to shock, isn't shock value. And I know I'm primarily talking to the choir, speaking to the choir today, but I'm trying to get us to have some compassion and mercy and understanding on people who are going through very difficult things in our society, whether it's depression, suicidal tendencies, or have had abortions or having abortions. My wife, uh, you know, she has a criminal record. She sat outside an abortion clinic. She protested. It wasn't violent. It was a peaceful protest. But trying to help women uh, not go through with this process and and uh, I'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes. Um, but I'm sitting uh, with my, my kids. And uh, as I'm going through this book, it's very, you know, very innocuous. It's very, you know, hey, they're getting married. There's, yeah, there's a man and a woman. There's a wedding. That's wonderful. And, and, and now that this is how they show love to each other. They, you know, they, they kiss. And, and I know as I'm turning the pages and they're like, oh, okay, everything's great. I know I'm going to end up finally turning to the page. That explains it. Because Sam's been walking around the house. This is what he's been saying for the last few months. Well, somebody please tell me where babies come from. And Hope would look at me like, you get the boys, I get the girls. I'm like, I'm seriously Sam and Josiah? I have to have this conversation with them? If you knew my boys, you would understand why I'm saying this. I finally turned to the page. I explained it to them. And I look at Sam, and Sam with his new glasses on, you know, he's looking all cool. He goes, that's weird. (laughs) And Josiah, I look at Josiah, and he goes, ew. (laughs) But as I'm going through this book, and, you know, I get all the way down, you know, and you come to the, you, you come to this, you know, the scientific Uh, page that says very clearly from the moment of conception 
details about the baby are already decided at the moment of conception. If it's going to be a boy or girl, the color of her eyes, the color of the hair, how much hair, whether she will grow up to be tall or short, have big feet, if she will have freckles, and much more. All that's determined immediately at the point of conception. What if I got done reading this book and showed where babies come from? We looked at the seven weeks, the one month, the three months, the six months, the nine months. We saw all the development, and it can feel pain. It can hear people outside the womb. I mean, all the, it's obvious to anybody it's a baby. What if I close it and say, now let me talk to you about something called abortion. Could you imagine? Because children know. What does God say about this matter? In the book of uh, Jeremiah, if you'll go there with me, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, and I want, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm laying down a foundation very briefly about what it really is about and what the Bible really says, and we need to make sure we get to the compassion piece because that's the biggest piece. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 1, It says this in verse 5. Jeremiah, this is God talking to Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You see that? Is that up there? That's that's the Bible right there. That's, that's That's God's perspective. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So where does God say life begins? Before conception. You were in God's heart and God's mind before you were even conceived. This wipes out the argument if you're going to come from a biblical perspective. You're God's son and daughter. You were thought of before the foundations of the world. Who do you think is out killing babies? Who's behind that? I just watched a video from the founder of Planned Parenthood last night. Mike Wallace was interviewing her in the 1940s, I believe it was, 50s. She opened up the first clinic in 1921. She is the visionary, the pioneer, the founder of Planned Parenthood. I want you to listen to a couple of her quotes so you really understand what is really going on here and that it's a bunch of propaganda regarding what Planned Parenthood is really about. There are tens of thousands of doctors and hospitals and clinics that do everything Planned Parenthood does, but you will not have federally funded abortions. Planned Parenthood needs to do their own thing and quit using our tax money to kill babies and to sell baby parts and all the other demonic things that they do. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Here is a quote from the founder of Planned Parenthood. Uh, from a speech called The Morality of Birth Control. And by the way, Planned Parenthood is now in our schools, and they're the one educating our children and these kind of things. That's why I'm very passionate about it. Quote, educated, uh, she, she divides society into three groups, the educated and the informed. I hope we are not in this group, according to Margaret Singer. Ready? This, the educated and informed group class that regulated the size of their families. Now there's the intelligent and responsible group, which we're not in, who desired to control their families, however, did not have the means or the knowledge and, quote, the irresponsible and reckless people, which we would be, 
whose religious scruples prevent their exercising control over their numbers. Sanger concludes, there is no doubt, quote, in the minds of all thinking people that the the procreation of this group should be stopped. She also says this, the most serious evil of our times is that of encouraging the bringing into the world of large families. The most immoral practice of the day is breeding too many children. She wrote, quote, the most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Quote, if we are to develop in America a new race with a racial soul, we must keep the birth rate within the scope of our ability to understand as well as to educate. We must not encourage reproduction beyond our capacity to assimilate our numbers so as to make the coming generation into such physically fit, mentally capable, socially alert individuals as are the ideal of a democracy. She believed that you should not allow anyone born who has any deficiencies or deformities whatsoever so that we can have a healthy, superior race. Who does that sound like? There are over 1.6 million abortions a year in the United States of America. Planned Parenthood performs 40% of those. That's 640,000 abortions. It is 51% of their revenue. Uh, That's $165 million a year Planned Parenthood makes on abortions. Their adoption referral rate, 40% abortion rate with hardly any pre-abortion counseling that there's other alternatives. And there's a quota they must reach as well. 40% abortion Adoption referrals from Planned Parenthood, 0.0076. Clearly, we know what business they are in. So you might say, what about the 1%? What about the 1%? How many of you have ever heard that argument? I'm not sorry, I'm going to say it this way. I just, what about the death of the mother, incest, and rape? How many of you ever heard that argument when you talk about this? Okay. That is 1%. Not that we are to be insensitive to the 1%. I have been involved with those in the 1%. I have nothing to say about the 1% this morning. That is a complete separate category. It's unique. Every case has to be taken case by case. And you've got to do what you believe between, between you and God. That's a completely different category. The 1%, not saying this to be insensitive to the 1%, it's a red herring. That is not the issue. The issue is the 99%. And here's what I want to say to the church. We have got to be a whole lot more compassionate to the 99% than we have been. Yelling, screaming, name-calling, standing outside abortion clinics and saying murderer, baby killer, is not going to build a bridge to bring somebody to a saving grace and forgiveness and help through Jesus Christ. In fact, I have deep compassion on the woman who has had an abortion who's a Christian. You can't go to church because with your depression, your guilt, your shame, because the church will say, well, you knew what you were doing. What did you expect? Baby killer. Can't go to the pro-choice people because they will say, well, it's just tissue anyway. Just get over it. It's not a big deal. I mean, this is real. 
These women are caught right in the middle on an island to themselves. They have nowhere to go. I want to say if you have had an abortion and you're dealing with guilt and shame, I uploaded, I, had, uh, I uploaded a video to our website. It's called Total Forgiveness. It's the story of a woman who had an abortion as a Christian. And it's about a 12-minute video clip that is so medicinal, so powerful, so full of mercy and forgiveness and encouragement. I want you to go there today if you're dealing with shame and guilt. Listen to her story and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But I want to say to the church... I think that we get angry because we think that the 99% who have abortions are just callous. That is, they just don't care. That is, that, is, that is very rare. That is rarely the case. Statistics show that the majority of women who go through with an abortion do not want to go through with the abortion. In fact, listen to this statistic. 80% of women who chose abortion say if they felt even just one person supported another decision, they would not have chosen to have an abortion. 75% of abortions occur due to concerns about finances, circumstances, and relationships. The fear of not being able to support the child, not being able to feed the child. The rejection and abuse of a spouse or a boyfriend. The societal shame, including the church, of being pregnant out of wedlock. Parental pressure. This week, as I'm studying and I'm at my desk preparing this message, I get an email that comes across my desk that says, there's a teenage girl who's gotten pregnant. Her parents are forcing her to have an abortion. She wants to have the baby. We need to find a place for her to live so she can hide until she can have the baby. Many parents force kids to have abortions because they don't want their kid's life ruined. And look, this is a real deal. This is a real deal. You're a teenager. You're a career woman. You have your track laid. You have your life headed a certain direction. You've spent thousands of dollars in college. Or you did that and now you're in your career. Or you're a teenager and you made a mistake and you get pregnant. Your life is going to change forever. Teenage girls, they get pregnant. They have that baby. Statistics show they will live under the poverty line for the rest of their lives. That baby has no chance, no choice. The parents see their child that has this completely life-altering situation. Probably won't even graduate from high school. Give it up for adoption. My wife, recognizing that, you know, going in front of abortion clinics maybe wasn't uh, that fruitful, began working in an unwed mother's home where teenage girls, parents kicked them out of the house because they wouldn't get an abortion, so they end up living in a home that Hope helped manage that house, helping these girls. And so the best case scenario is to give them up for adoption. But once the girl has their own baby, goes through the process, giving it up for adoption is a very emotionally difficult thing to do. And so they end up keeping the baby, and they live under the poverty line. It's not pretty. My point is, it's a hard decision, and throwing rocks and names and holding up signs and calling them baby killers is not helpful. What is helpful 
is to be someone they feel they can trust to process their fears, their shame, their confusion with. And to give them hope that even though this is going to rock your world, Jesus is going to walk you through it. The fear of finances, I'm telling you, God's going to provide. And you better be part of the answer. We've got to be there. That Jesus understands. He's not shaming you. You made a mistake. Jesus doesn't shame you. He's got the resources. He's going to help you. There are uh, life planning clinics all over that will help you. Well, I, I can give you resources. They're right here in our city. will help you get through this and get your life into a manageable situation. People that just don't want their life disrupted, what's that really about? When it comes down to, well, it's the woman's right to choose. It's really not. The real issue here is God's will or our will be done. Now listen, I spoke to a woman recently whose life was about to get completely thrown off track because of a potential pregnancy. And I listened to her, and it was hard to hear about how, what was going to happen and the change that would take place. It, was, it would be so much easier. It would fix all the problems just to abort the baby. What did the person do? They said, I've got to get alone with God, and I've got to get my heart on his page. And I tell you, if you do that, I don't think you're going to hear God say, yeah, we really need to kill that thing. But I'm telling you, it's a real deal. And you've got to get before God and say, help me get on your page. I've got to completely submit my life, my heart, my future into your hands and trust you. And she came to that place, and she said, okay, I'm at peace. God can help me with this. And think about, you know, when those who are pro-choice advocates talk about abortion and talk about the 1%, I like to talk about the other side of the story. What about those who were supposed to be aborted and the parent chose not to? I got one right here in our church, my wife. Miss Brenda had a rare blood disease. She had three uh, miscarriages before hope, and every miscarriage is sooner than the last one. The, the, the chance of success reduces. So hope's number four. And of course, of course, you want to abort the child. And Miss Brenda said, ain't going to happen. Nope. Not going to do it. It was a tough process. But Miss Brenda went through the entire pregnancy. Hope, uh, she had a pro-life doctor. Miss Brenda was telling me last night, sat in that, went to the hospital, had, wanted Hope to be in the hospital on his day off so he could be from the, the uh, general practitioner's office at the hospital, stayed with her all night, all day long. Hope was born, seven blood transfusions. They, at that hospital, called her, the miracle baby, which is why her name is Hope. Then Hope works in an unwed mother's home to encourage and help girls. 
Then Hope goes to be a missionary in the Philippines. Then Jesus appears to her in a dream with two special needs children on the floor in their own urine. And he says, will you take care of them for me? So we adopt two special needs children and have four other children. And now Hope starts tomorrow morning in her Ph.D. program in the public health. Because she wants to spend the rest of her life helping children around the world. I like that story. How about you? The Bible is very clear. I can show you other passages about you being formed in the womb by God, but obviously we're out of time. I want to say that I care about the woman struggling and feel there's no way out and no one to talk to. We are here for you. This church loves you. Jesus loves you. I love you. No shame. No shame. No shame. No shame. We will help you. I feel for the woman who feels shame is caught between the pro-choice and pro-life. You're on an island to yourself. We are here for you. I feel for the boyfriend and the parents who feel incredible guilt for forcing their girlfriend or their wife or their child to have an abortion. We are here for you as well. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. It is forgivable and it is restorable. You've got to watch that story. I want everybody to watch that story that's on our website called Total Forgiveness. It will help you as a Christian understand and have insight and feel compassion on those who have had abortions or those who are contemplating abortions because we've got to do a better job with this. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The last thing I was going to deal with today was war. And I can't. Let me just say this. The Bible, um, no, I'm not going to say that. We're out of time. I might have to hold that. But let me do say this. Law enforcement, military, I have one thing to say to you. Thank you. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up front, please. If you, um, if you have... If you have, prayer teams, you can come on up. If you have uh, issues around this abortion issue, uh, there's somebody in the house today who had an abortion as a teenager, who has worked through it, who has found forgiveness, and can offer you hope. And you come to me, and I will connect you with that person. If you have, uh, if you're struggling with this, um, you come up. If you have prayer needs for anything else, you guys come on up. You can come up as well. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, let me just say to you this morning that he um, died on the cross for your sins. You cannot get to heaven by trying to be a good person. That's not the access into heaven. The access into heaven is uh, forgiveness, free forgiveness through Jesus Christ. If you need to get, turn your life over to Jesus and have your sins forgiven, then you come down front here too and tell one of the prayer partners. They will pray with you, and the Lord will forgive you completely for your sins. 
and he will breathe his spirit into your spirit, and you will become a son or a daughter of God today. Amen? Amen. So next Sunday, invite your friends. We'll watch a 60-minute video on creationism versus evolution. It's going to be a fun day. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.